great to see you. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. John chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 12, look at verses 12 to 19. I was telling um, Maui between services, I actually hit the same note she hit on that song in Christ Alone. It was sounded a little bit different, but... Uh, what a, what a great reminder uh, through song of what God has done for us in Christ. And um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a, an encouragement, a challenge this week uh, before I dive in. Uh, so next week's Easter. Uh, it's also um, spring break week. So I don't know what attendance will be, but it certainly it'll be higher, which we're thrilled about. Um, so here's the challenge to the 930s. We've been running about six, over 1,600 most weeks in our three services across the Yorktown campus. And that's about the most this building can hold, quite frankly. So, um, so one, we need to pray for some adoptions that we can send, right? That's what we're doing. That's what God's vision has given us. But next week, if it's possible for you and your family to come to eight, that's a huge, huge help, okay? So like if you invited a neighbor or something, they're like, oh, I'm coming at 9.30, come. Meet them at the door and come at 9.30. But if you can shift for at least that week, that's a huge help for seating, parking, and children's space. Everybody with me? Uh, but do what you got to do to get here. If it's 9.30, it's 9.30. That's great. But just some of you can make that shift rather easily, and that would be great. How many of you, uh, so let's dive in, uh, how many of you remember your first car? And what was your first car? Right? A lot of you, first car, some of you, it's like, yeah, it's like a 1940, you know, whatever, but I won't, will not pick on you. Mine was a 1980 Pontiac Sunbird, a uh, lot different than the Firebird. All right, so like, you drove a Firebird? No, Sunbird, okay? It was a four- cylinder machine. Uh, when all four cylinders were firing at the same time, this thing could go from zero to 60 in a couple days. So uh, it was a fantastic first car. Uh, but rides mean things generally, right? Even like, you know, there's a status to them, right? Like, you know, the, the, the logo uh, on the front fender says something, right? And some of y'all really care about that. Like, man, it's a front fender. In fact, even as as a pastor, you know, pastors, we think we, there's, this, I'll give you a little behind the scenes conversation. Like, it's okay to have Nissan as the front fender, but if it's anything, you know, it gets too much, like, oh, you can't do that, right? So they mean things. You ever driven by a house that's small and old and dilapidated and you're driving by it and the car in the driveway is worth more than the house, right? And you're like, Man, like status really matters to you, right? And so, so things haven't changed much uh, in 2,000 years. Um, Christ on Palm Sunday enters Jerusalem, sets his face towards the reason that he had been sent, really kind of the pinnacle of what he'd been sent to do and the death and paying for sin. And what did he ride in on? Anybody know? A donkey, right? A, a colt. And so, and so this would not be the norm, right? In Bible times, if you were a king, you, you would ride in on some majestic steed. Uh, you know, you would have your army in front of you, uh, chariots kind of showing off your military might. And yet Christ came uh, really with a whole different idea of humility and peace his first coming, right? Now, his second coming is going to be vanquishing all of his foes. And we have this in-between time found in John chapter 3 
first coming to second coming, where we're promoting the gospel, and everybody, us included, and people all around the world have an opportunity to repent of their sins, get right with their creator through the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, and so in order for that to happen, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, humbly with peace and trying to make peace between us and God, paying for our sin. And so here's what I want to do this morning, a little bit different. I want to, I'm going to read out loud John chapter 12, 12 to 19, uh, but I want you to, to picture, um, you know, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the cre- your creator, the Lord of Lords, taking on flesh with his mind set on suffering and dying, should have been riding into accolades with all of the military might in the world preceding him. And instead he rides in humbly on a lowly colt, knowing I'm going to suffer and die for my people to pay for their sins. And so with that in mind, knowing this is the Holy Scripture, I want to stand as I read this together, right? In honor of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So let's stand. It's a little bit different. We don't do this every week, but I want to do that this week in honor of our Lord Jesus Christ and his holy word. John 12, 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And the crowd, verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and had raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done these, this sign. And so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that they're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world's gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, God. We would be lost. We would not know our direction if you hadn't sent us Christ, the word made flesh, and given us your word, your holy word, God, that directs our path. It's a light to our path. It points us in the direction of the gospel message of Jesus. It changes our hearts and minds. And so I even pray this morning, God, as we unpack this glorious, true story of our Savior Jesus, God, that you would shape us, mold us. God, help us to hate the things that you hate and love what you love, God. Transform our hearts and minds to walk in the holiness and righteousness that our Savior has both demonstrated and gifted us through the Holy Spirit in us. Thank you for the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin, God. Thank you for the Holy Spirit within that points us and guides us to truth. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. I want to pull a couple points out this morning. Now, I have to warn you. Um, I haven't preached here two weeks in a row, so I'm pretty spun up today. All right, so buckle up. All right, so here we go. Point number one, the ride of our king. You know, we talked about the ride, you know, your first ride, your first car. The ride of our king was a donkey versus a war horse. 
He came in on a donkey instead of a war horse. And why did he do that? Letter A, he came as a display of humility and peace. Jesus came during his first coming to give us opportunity to be made right with our creator, God. The next time he comes, it's going to be to vanquish all his enemies. The world, the flesh, the devil. He will be sovereign. He will rule. He will crush them all. But he has given you and I an opportunity to get right with God through repentance and faith in the gospel of Jesus. Remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds at Jesus' birth? What did they say? Glory to God in the highest and what? And on earth, what? Peace, goodwill. Jesus came to bring peace. His gospel is peace. Now, it is peace through victory and conquering of enemies, which I'll unpack in just a little bit. All right, letter B. Second thing, why did Jesus ride in on a donkey? Well, it was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Jesus knew his Old Testament. And one of the things I would, I would even give you a chance, Jesus wrote the Old Testament, actually, so uh, through human authors. But um, one of the things I would maybe give you a little bit of a challenge this week, if you have the time, is read through the Gospel of John. Something I've been doing the last couple of weeks in preparation for Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. is And the Gospel, the reason I've been reading through John and I love it so much is it really, the, the whole letter, for the most part, focuses on uh, the last couple of weeks of the life of Christ's ministry, right? So everything you're reading, for the most part, in John is like these last few weeks before his death, burial, and resurrection. And so as Jesus gets on the donkey, he knows the prophet Zechariah. And I love this. And by the way, I've been doing like a personal study through Zechariah. I'm in chapter three right now, just kind of journaling this year through it. It's just an incredible prophet. And uh, so Zechariah chapter nine, however, I want you to see this This is amazing. This is amazing. Ready? Zechariah 9.9, the prophet Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So right now, the prophet's reminding us, this is the Messiah. This is how the Messiah is going to enter Jerusalem. Okay, verse 10. I will cut off, of Zechariah chapter 9, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, okay? What is he talking about here? Anybody? He's talking about peace. The Messiah is going to bring peace. There will come a day. There will be no more war, no more battle bows, no more war horses. And the rule of this Messiah, this is where it really gets exciting, ready? Check this out, verse 10. And the rule of this Messiah, he shall speak peace to the nations. Church, do we need peace in our nation right now? Listen, I, I was so discouraged this week. Of course, we all were with the school shooting. But one of the things that really discouraged me is when I saw some microphones go in the, in the, in, in the, in the face of some spiritual leaders in our culture. A lot of them were saying, well, we just got to love each other. And that's true. But, man, we, we've got a spiritual sin issue that needs to be dealt with. Amen. Like, I was, I was just longing for one to go, we got a spiritual issue, sin issue, only Christ can make the pe- bring peace that we need, and being honest about who we are and where we are. So here it is, ready? Check this out. He will speak peace to the nations, verse 10. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. 
How many of you watched the news this week and were like, we're losing? How many of y'all watched the news this week and thought that at some point? I thought that a time or two, right? Some of you are like, oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, you did, okay. Listen, we're a part of a kingdom that doesn't lose. Amen? And the scriptures are clear. This kingdom of God is going to rule from sea to sea, from river to river. It doesn't sound like a losing thing. It says the gospel wins. Amen? And so Zechariah, here's what he's doing. The Messiah's coming. He's going to set everything right. It's going to be great. Then the Messiah came, and he did something a little different than most people expected. He took care of our greatest need first. He took care of our sin problem. And when he comes again, he's fully and finally going to reign, and there will be peace from sea to sea. But in this in-between time, he's given us something to do. So Jesus is fulfills the prophecy. He rides to Jerusalem on the colt. He he dies on the cross, he's buried, he raises again, and then what does he do next? He hands off the kingdom and its process that will win and will succeed to the now 11 disciples, and he commissions them, and he says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to who? All nations, right? And he promises that he's going to be with us. This is what gets me excited about what we are doing as a church. We are in the process of bringing this winning kingdom to our nation and all around the world. Amen? And all the powers of hell will not succeed against what Jesus is doing through his church. And so how do we do it at Coastal, man? We develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ through connect, grow, serve, and now multiply. And so you are a part of this winning strategy as you serve and you develop someone else to take your place. You are part of this winning strategy as we adopt and plant gospel outposts all across the community as God gives us opportunity. This is why I am so excited because our king brings peace through the gospel, through humility and service, and he's now handed that to us, his bride, and we have a purpose until the day our faith become sight until he or he call until he call until he returns as we just sang or calls us home we have a purpose here on the planet and it is to bring fulfill the prophecy all the way back in Zechariah 9 isn't that cool you guys with me you guys with me okay nobody Marty's the only one okay here we go and so Jesus was intentional humility and serving bringing peace on earth Letter C, which his second visit, his second his next visit, his next return will be fully and finally vanquishing all his foes. First ride, his first ride was a donkey, but check out his second ride, Revelation nineteen eleven. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, what's he riding on? Like, have you ever seen a big old white horse, man? They're awesome. They're and the one sitting on it's called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His first coming, forgiveness, repentance, gospel, peace. But his second coming, he's going to fully and finally vanquish all his enemies. And his unending rule will be in righteousness forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And there'll be no more brokenness and there'll be no more broken bodies and there'll be no more famine and there'll be no more injustices and there'll be no more imperfections. There'll be no more internal wrestle with your own sin. We are going to be freed and fully perfect as Christ is perfect forever. It's going to be amazing. And if you don't know Christ today, I don't want you to miss out. Amen. Second thing I want you to see this morning. Number two, save now. Save now. So Jesus rides in on a, on a colt, and the people are crying out, Hosanna. 
Now, you probably sang that in church and didn't even know what you were singing, right? It literally means save now or give salvation now. Save now. So I want you to get this picture. Jesus comes in on a colt. The streets are lined with people, palm branches. They have the palm branches out there yelling out, save now. Listen, palm branches were usually used to lay before a king after a victory in a military battle. They would be celebrating a king. But what was it that these people wanted saving from? Now, this is why I want you to read the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, you begin to see what's happening right up to the ride into Jerusalem. Jesus feeds 5,000. And by the way, the text is very clear, 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women and children. Maybe it's 15,000, right? Five loaves, two fish. What's the crowd thinking? Free food. This guy brings free food. John chapter 11, what happens next? Anybody knows what happens in John chapter 11? Lazarus. What's Jesus do with Lazarus? Raises the dead. And so he's riding in on a donkey, and yes, it's free us from Rome, but it's even better than that. It's free food, free health care, free retirement, and universal basic income. And by, by the way, you're laughing, but that's what they were thinking. This is a great king. If I don't have food, he's going to provide it for me. If I die, he'll bring me back to life. He's going to make me get through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. And by the way, none of these ideas are biblical. God has put us on the planet to work and have a purpose. Not everybody give me everything for free. And so some of these trends in our culture are no different than the people lining the streets on Palm Sunday saying, this guy is going to get me through safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. And so when I said, Hosanna, save now, what is it that you want Jesus to save you from? Save from what? Because... Within a week, these people went from yelling Hosanna to yelling what? He, he didn't quite measure up to what I thought. I think we oftentimes get disillusioned with Jesus and with our God because we fail to recognize our biggest need. We think that God has left us on the planet to get through life safe, soft, easy, comfortable, retirement savings, house, big house, family, spouse, all the things that we think will make it easy for us, yet all of life will soon pass away because of the wage of sin. Paul says it this way, the wages of sin, wage is something you earn, the wages of sin is what? It's death. Jesus' first coming was to save us from our biggest need. What we really need saving from is sin's penalty. Jesus came to take care of that issue first, which required that he suffer, die, and rise again. And so when we sing Hosanna, give salvation now, God. Bring, save now. Do we really want what God came to bring? Saving us from our sin, or do we just want free food? Jesus came, yes, to bring real life, abundant, free from sin, free from shame, free from guilt, but even more importantly, life eternal. 
Is that what you seek from Jesus this morning? Because if not, like everything else is like a secondary issue. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and what? What's next? His righteousness. And then all the other stuff takes care of itself. And when we start talking about, I won't bow down to idols. That's what we sang. What, is, what are we singing? We're singing about when our, when our heart gets so captured by the things of this world as if that will give me life. Every idol that you worship, that you pursue, other than Christ will disappoint you. Your spouse cannot complete you. Even if they have you at hello, all right? They can't complete you. Your job, the bank account, it's Christ because number three, Jesus is the better Passover lamb. John chapter 12, verse 12, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast, what feast? It was Passover. Heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Jesus is now coming as the truer, better Passover land. Now we looked at this. We've been part of the reason that if you're new to coastal, one of the things that we're, we've been doing at the beginning of each year, new year, like kind of like late January to March, late March, we're preaching through the first five books of the Bible, and it's been a multi-year journey because we want to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament so you understand this big picture story of what God is doing, okay? And so two years ago, when we were going through Exodus, the children of Israel are in captivity in Exodus. God sends Moses and Aaron in to free them. Pharaoh won't let the people go, and so God sends 10 plagues, right? And I don't remember all 10, but they're gross. Gnats and blood, bloody water and lightning and hail. And, and what's the last one? Anybody know what the last one is, number 10? It's the death angel, right? And he says, I'm going to kill all the firstborn in the land of Egypt unless, what? Anybody know? Unless there's blood on the doorpost, right? And so he instructed them, I want you to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and I want you to kill that lamb, take the blood of the lamb, take a hyssop branch, put it on the doorpost, take the lamb, cook it, you know, what's left, eat, you know, and have it all just be consumed in the fire by the next day because I'm, I'm going to come through Egypt and I'm going to kill all the firstborns except the house that has the blood of the lamb, I will what? What's next? I will pass over, right? I will not kill the firstborn in that house. And even some of the Egyptians followed the words of the Lord. Uh, and so, you know, they followed the words of the Lord. The Lord passed over the, 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 those that had the blood of the lamb. And Jesus is a truer, letter, letter A here, Jesus is the truer, better Passover lamb. He's the lamb without blemish, okay? So it's that picture of take a lamb without blemish, Exodus 12. Jesus is the truer, better lamb without blemish, now, when we teach the gospel here at Coastal, we say there's three core things you have to know about the gospel. Number one, we say what? Jesus is what? Jesus is God. Now, enveloped in that truth is the idea of as God, Jesus is sinless, okay? So to have an appropriate sacrifice for sin, you had to have a, per, a genuine, perfect, spotless lamb that Jesus... Uh, Exodus 12 is a picture Jesus fulfills. As God, he's without sin. I mean, could you imagine, like, 
Jesus never even had a thin, a sinless, he never had a sinful thought in his head, ever. He never had a sinful motive. He, he, he never lusted, he never wanted for anything more than the will of the Father for him. I mean, just incredible. Jesus, God without sin, and he's, so therefore, he is the only one sufficient. Jesus is God as a sufficient sacrifice for sin. The Apostle Peter says it this way in his letter to the church in 1 Peter 1, 19, he says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus is the truer, better Passover lamb. And so letter B, Jesus came to shed his blood. Jesus knew that bloodshed was a part of his journey to the will of the Father. Now, let me park here for a minute. You ready? Why the shedding of blood? I mean, have you ever really, like, sometimes if you're growing up in church, you, like, you say this kind, we kind of say these phrases all the time, shedding of blood, crucifixion. I think if you're not a Christian, it's easy to step back and look at that and go, like, it borderlines on barbaric. Yes? I mean, the crucifixion is rough, and it's bloody, and it, it's gross. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin. They realize in their sin that they're naked, and what does God do? What does God do? It's the first time this ever happens. He kills some animals, and he clothes them in animal skin. The... the Adam and Eve's disobedience came at the loss of life, and this was, this was pointing us to something. What's it pointing us to? The book of Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So let me go back to my first question. Why is this a thing? I mean, if God is God, he could have done it any way he wanted. Why the shedding of blood? Why, why in John chapter 6, is Jesus is celebrating Passover, and he says, unless you eat my flesh, and what? It's weird, right? It's a little gross. And Jesus is certainly talking figuratively. It is supposed to remind us of the holiness of God. We take the character of God far too lightly. He's God and you're not. He makes the rules you don't get to. We we live in a culture that has elevated self psychologically to the throne of God. I determine what's right or wrong. I determine what makes sex and gender and sexuality righteous and holy and good, not God. I determine what makes a physical sexual relationship right or wrong, not, not God. 
I determine how to treat my neighbor, not God. I determine what is stealing and not God. I determine what is truth and not God. And so now we live in a culture that's flipped truth on its head and it's declaring righteousness uh, sinful and it's declaring sin righteousness. Listen, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they, they basically were looking at God and saying, I know better than you. And they literally went to war with their creator. I'm going to do it my way. And so when you indulge sin and you do it your way, you are in, you are at war with your creator going, I'm God. I know better than you. Your holiness, your character, you as creator don't matter. I'm in control. And you're at war with God Almighty. And so when we look at the crucifixion of Christ, we are supposed to look on the bloodied body of Christ and go, that's how much God hates my sin. And there's a big church word, big theological word called propitiation. God could have simply waved his hand and said, your sins are forgiven, but that would lack justice. And so for us to have our sin forgiven, it required the shedding of blood so that we understand the high cost of our forgiveness in the presence of God Almighty. Amen? And so God set up the rules and said, for there to be forgiveness, there has to be the shedding of blood so that we recognize Yes, forgiveness is free to you, and it's free to me, but forgiveness costs God everything. And so let her see, it reminds me, man, I, you and I, we've been bought with a price. As we pursue the holiness as Christians, the idea is that, that Jesus was a sacrifice for us. As our king enters Jerusalem, knowing he's going to be sacrificed for sin, that he's paying something he didn't know for your sin and your rebellion and the times you said, God, I'm going to do it my way because I know better than you. And in that rebellion and in that war with your creator, Jesus said, I'm going to take the penalty of that rebellion and sin. In 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul is dealing with a guy in the church that's a member of the church that is having an incest, a habitual, incestuous, adulterous relationship. And they're bragging about it. Oh, we're free in Christ. We can do what we want. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Stop walking and playing with sin. Christ paid for that. He goes on to say in chapter 6, verse 18, he says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but a sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your bodies. Listen, I give you a little pastoral counseling. If someone comes to me and they're Pastor John, I'm stuck in this habitual sin, especially if it's a sexual sin. Like, I'm stuck in this habitual sin. I can't seem to overcome it. You want to know what the first question I ask them? Are you a Christian? 
I don't assume everybody walks in my office because they come to church as a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. Then why are you loving your sin more than Jesus? Because he sat. The next time temptation comes, I want you to think about Christ straddling a donkey, knowing what's coming. Knowing that the cheers of Hosanna, save now, are going to change to crucify. Yes, he loved you and he gave himself to be the full and final Passover lamb. So glorify him in how we live as Christians. Which leads to my final question this morning. Question number four, what did you come to see? What did you come to see? What did you come to see this morning? What did you come to see as a Christian? Because a crowd can form but have no idea what they're looking at. This crowd came for all kinds of personal reasons, but none of them or most of them were not the reasons of God. A crowd can form, letter A, to see miracles. That's why this crowd formed. Verse 17 of John chapter 12, and the crowd that had been with him when they called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised from the dead continued to bear witness. In other words, they're running around after the raising of Lazarus, going all around the community, going, you're not going to believe this. This guy raises the dead. This guy raises, this is incredible. He raises the dead, right? And so a crowd begins to form. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. Hey, Jesus, can you do one of those neat party tricks? The crowd had their own agenda. By the way, miracles, let it be, miracles don't evoke faith. Some of you are like, man, why do we have to do like, why do we got to give our time, talent, and treasure? Why can't we just, why can't, I mean, next week's Easter, why can't God just write it in the sky, the gospel? The whole world gets up and there's the gospel for everybody to see because miracles don't evoke faith. They just determine what's already in the heart, belief or unbelief. That's why in John chapter 11, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it does say some people believe, but some people were like, we need to kill him. Can you imagine anything stupider? All of us gets a funeral one day. This guy raises the dead, and we're like, man, we got to get rid of that before he raises me from the dead. Who wants to live forever? It's crazy. And in John chapter 12, verse 19, see, I want you to understand what the Pharisees are doing here, because I know we probably read it, and you're like, what are they even saying? It says, so the Pharisees said to one another, by the way, the Pharisees don't want anything with about what Jesus is doing. The Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. In other words, we're, we're losing. They're all starting to go after him. Look, the whole world is going after him. The Pharisees didn't believe in Jesus. Jesus is, is, is trampling on their kingdom. That's why I said, uh, you watch the news this week, it's spiritual. There's a battle of kingdoms. And truth tramples on a different kingdom. The Pharisees didn't receive him. The Pharisees are worried about their own little world and Jesus trampling on it. Because in verse 37, which we didn't read this morning, though he'd done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. The Pharisees cared about their agenda. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is the dividing line of all of history for every person. Even Islam recognizes he's a prophet, but he's way more than a prophet. Jesus is God. 
He wrapped himself in flesh, and every human heart has to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. He might not fit fit neatly packaged into your kingdom and what you're about, but he is, and his kingdom is the dividing line for all of history. He is not a neutral character. Jesus is polarizing. You're either in or you're out this morning. There's no neutrality. And let us see, the gospel's miracle enough. And there is no greater miracle than that we need to repent of our sin and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's go over the gospel. Three things. Jesus is God. What's number two? Jesus did what? Died on a cross for our sins. Number three, what did Jesus do? We're going to celebrate this next week. Body rose from the grave. Now, that is the message of the gospel, and now we have something we have to do with that. We have to, number one, we have to do what? Repent, man. We need to grieve our sin, hate our sin, turn from our sin. We need to repent. And then we need to believe in the three core facts of the gospel. And then we need to receive Christ into our lives. And he transforms us from the inside out. And I'm going to tell you something. Last week when we did our, I don't know, 15 baptisms here at the Yorktown campus, there we don't need a greater miracle than that God is still changing hearts one person at a time where a person gets up and says, I used to live for me, but man, I've repented of my sin and Christ Jesus is now seated on the throne of my heart and I'm serving him and I'm gonna, by the grace of God, through the gospel and the method of Christ has given us, we're gonna help bring peace on earth as we introduce others to Jesus Christ. The gospel is miracle enough. Amen? Jesus has conquered our greatest need already. Sin and death. Anything else is a blessed gift of God. But we don't need it for the gospel and the kingdom to be complete. So we're going to go out singing this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team out. I don't want to finish with this. One of my favorite bumper stickers is this. Ready? You'll figure it out. As soon as I say it, exercise, eat right, die anyway. It's one of my favorite bumper stickers because I'm going down eating ice cream, okay? Like, I, that's just happening. But here's what I love about that, that bumper sticker like, it's true. I'm not saying you shouldn't exercise, I'm not saying you shouldn't eat right, whatever. I mean, that's fine. Die anyway. (laughs) We sing on a regular basis the word Hosanna. Hosanna means what, church? Anybody remember? Save now. So let me ask you a question. What is it that you want Jesus to save you from? Because if your answer is anything other than really, God, what I really need to be saved from is the penalty of my sin. God, save me from this financial hardship. Die anyway. Suffer the penalty of your sin anyway. God, save me from this health crisis. Die anyway. Pay the penalty of your sin anyway. God, save me from this difficult marriage. What do you want God to save you from? If you filled in the blank with anything 
other than God. Save me from my sin. You're as confused about Jesus Christ as these people were on Palm Sunday. He came to save us from the penalty of our sin. Not from earthly discomforts or physical pain. He came to take care of death. First and second. And so one day you're going to stand before God Almighty. And you're going to give an account of your life. And we're going to scroll back your life, your thought life, your motive life, the things you did and didn't do. And if any part of that life is in rebellion to God's holy character, you are in rebellion and you are at war with your creator. Unless you've received the gospel. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. I believe that. I'm turning from my sin. I'm following Christ. Now, here's a great word. Ready? The Bible word is justification. The doctrine of justification. When you repent of your sin and you believe in the person and work of Christ, the perfect life of Christ, his perfect righteousness is credited to your spiritual bank account by grace alone, through faith alone, so that one day when you stand before God Almighty and you give an account, you go, God, my only hope is that you're true to your word. I've received your gospel, and Christ's righteousness is mine by grace through faith. Amen, church? And you can know that saving grace today. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. What is it that you want Jesus to save you from? Hosanna, God. Save us from our sin. Because that's all we got and that's all we need. Let's bow our heads and pray. I want to invite the prayer team up. If you need prayer today, they're under the screens. You can receive Christ today. If you're here today, you don't know Christ. Holy Spirit's convicting you, man. Get right with your creator right now. Just pray, simple prayer, but it's business with God. God, forgive me of my sin, God. I, I recognize I've been at war with you. and It's left me struggling and hurting. And today, God, I call it what you call it. I call it sin. I call it rebellion. I turn from my sin and I believe that Jesus is God and he rode into Jerusalem to pay a price he didn't know on the cross and he bought him. We're going to celebrate next week. Bodily rose from the grave. And because of him, man, I have life and hope and purpose today. I put my trust in Jesus alone. And today, oh God, I say, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. You've taken care of my greatest need. I praise you and I worship you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.